Welcome to the Upper Left Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Jack Anderson, and today on the show, I am joined by one of my former athletes, Justin Carey, who was the captain of the University of Mary Washington men's soccer team and helped lead the program to several conference championships uh, during his time there and was honestly one of my favorite athletes to work with during my time at Mary Washington. So uh, my idea for this podcast was uh, to get him on the show to interview me so I can kind of get the mindset of an athlete who has uh, been coached by me and to kind of get a feel for his takes on some of the stuff that I did, perhaps in a way to make myself better and to enlighten myself uh, as to the athlete's perception of the environment that I tried to create during my time at the University of Mary Washington. Um, I hope this provides some insight perhaps for coaches as well who uh, are struggling to bridge the gap with their athletes uh, in terms of maybe building relationships or getting the training to stick or driving better understanding of their programs that they are working on uh, to better their athletes. Uh, What transpired was an incredible conversation. Justin obviously brought the heat with some of his questions, did a great job um, exploring my brain, and you can really tell that he has a bright future ahead of him. He's beginning uh, his tenure as a coach uh, at Stetson University, where he will be an assistant this year, hopefully uh, COVID permitting, of course. So thank you very much to Justin for coming onto the show to interview me, and hopefully you enjoy some of the insights that I'm able able to provide for you uh, as we flip the script here on the Upper Left Performance Podcast. Let's jump right into it. Uh, Justin Carey, thanks a lot for uh, for coming on the show, and then we'll flip the script, I guess, here and uh, and have you uh, interview me. I thought it'd be kind of cool just to get uh, one of my former athletes on who I felt like, you know, to be honest, like you took a lot of what uh, our strength and conditioning department at Mary Washington did extremely seriously, and then you were always kind of like a conduit between other athletes, uh, you know, just with your leadership ability and ability to communicate with them. And I think that you really helped uh, get athlete, win athletes to, to kind of our side there when I was there at Mary Washington. I felt like that was always super important. And um, you always seem curious about what we did as a field. And, and, you know, we've had our discussions back and forth about, you know, what strength and condition does. You told, taught me a lot about soccer this year, to be honest with you, and, and some of our discussions. So, um, you know, I really wanted to just get you on and then have you kind of interview me and see maybe where the thought process process of an athlete might be uh, when approaching the world of performance. So thanks a lot, man. Yeah, no, I really appreciate it, Jack. This is awesome. Um, I know we've had a couple of discussions in the past week or so. I've thought about kind of starting a podcast on my own. So it, it's been cool to kind of converse with you about that and, and throw some ideas around. But Definitely really fun to reconnect. I mean, it's been a while since we were kind of working together and I was going to bring it up at first because I think coach, you were the first strength and conditioning coach I ever came across that really made me think that strength and conditioning was not weightlifting. Like it's completely, it's not actually, you don't go in the weight room just to weight, <laughs> weightlift or whatever it was. But I, I felt like I went into your weight room with Kevin, obviously, and I didn't leave thinking like I just went through a weightlifting session. I thought, yeah, that was strength and conditioning, not, not weightlifting. But that was always a cool like realization for me, my junior year, obviously working with you guys. And that's, I think obviously why we had some, so much success at Mary Wash. Um, But I think, is that something you, that you really kind of think about with the way you coach in your weight room? It's not, it's really not weightlifting. It's, I don't know, for lack of a better term, strength and conditioning. Yeah. Uh, you know, man, it's funny, you know, thinking about that then and then now, 
Um, I think looking back at some of the programs we did at UMW, I, I, there was probably still too much weightlifting in my opinion, which is hilarious, <laughs> which is hilarious that we're, you know, you bring that up. Um, but yeah, I, I think when you're in a situation like that, where you have a lot of teams and uh, very few members on staff, uh, the tendency is to go with what you know. And a lot of times I think that strength and conditioning coaches only know the weight room. I, th I think all of us are experts in being able to periodize weight room cycles and stuff like that. But you know, when you step outside of that realm and you realize just all the components that go into sport, especially team sport, um, you don't, it doesn't add up if that's the only, the only point of emphasis, you know, I think there are some great things with weightlifting and things that I didn't even think about as much as I should have, you know, when I was at UMW, for example, connective tissue strength, uh, you know, we talk about injury prevention programs all the time. A lot of it's not the floofy stuff, in my opinion. I think like heavy loading is going to be great to strengthen tendons, ligaments, things that we worry about, you know, in terms of injury. So I think that's, you know, one big thing that's emerged for me is a reason why I would continue to externally load people in a heavy fashion. Um, and also general strength is important and good. And, and once sure. we have a base of it, being able to maintain it, it's going to require some heavy lifting at times. But yeah, man, you hit the nail on the head. There's just so much more to it. Um, you know, for me, I've tried to think about reverse engineering now from the game on back. So for example, like with you guys, I think, you know, then I didn't do a great job of it. I think I could do a better job now of like going to your practices um, and not just seeing like what moves I can mimic in the weight room. I think that's like what a lot of coaches in strength and conditioning feel like a lot, like, oh, that looks like a lateral lunge. So we can lateral lunge in here and do this and that and the other. And, um, I don't think that's always like the right answer. You know, um, what I'd rather look at now is, is like, okay, like what kind of shin angles are being produced here? What can I do uh, in terms of like drills to help him achieve better shin angles in his acceleration, stuff like that. And you know, we worked a ton on sprint mechanics and stuff like that. So I, it, it's not necessarily always just finding ways to externally load that replicate the game. It's, it's finding a bunch of different things that are going to help your learning experience in the gym to help connect it to the sport. Um, and I, th I think if we don't do that, uh, one, it becomes very monotonous for the athlete. And two, like we're taking away this, the flow that happens. Like when you, you know, more than anyone as an athlete, like when you are on point as an athlete, I don't think it's bracing and lifting 500 pounds. I think there's some sort of flow to it where, we're able to, you know, express our force fluidly with great timing and with great, you know, you know, uh, speed, you know, we're able to actually have that kind of come about. And so all those things kind of add up to being, okay, we need to train more holistically. We can't just train how I want to train or how I was taught to train in strength and conditioning school when you go get your master's or whatever, you know, and um, right. I feel like I feel like the field's doing a good job of, of starting to understand that and move away from solely externally loading athletes with weight. Um, I think it's, people are really starting to understand that the, the gap now is, is that strength and conditioning coaches need to spend more time studying these things um, so that we can flesh out like strength and conditioning. When we talk about weightlifting and stuff like that, there's a lot of like very well thought out, well-researched and set protocols, but a lot of the stuff that I'm talking about right now um, there's a lot less information out there about it. So a lot of it is going to be done in almost like a, uh, a guinea pig almost setting, you know, like sure. stuff I might use with a, a soccer team now might not be quote unquote evidence based, but that's because there is no evidence. So we have to start creating it, you know? Right. Um, so hopefully that like sums up kind of what, what we're yeah. talking about here, you know? 
Well, and I know you, you had talked about all this research you're doing, and I know I'm sure most of your listeners have really become well-versed in this, and obviously it's the name of your podcast, but you're talking about this upper left quadrant training that you've seemingly from my end now, not having been involved with you for a couple of years, you've really gone, you know, head first into this research that you're talking about. Can you explain for me as an athlete, how that really applies to, to us rather than maybe just, you know, shoveling that information out to other coaches yeah. saying like, Hey, use this. It's helpful type stuff. Yeah. So I think, I think the biggest issue right now uh, for like run of the mill strength coaches, including myself, because it's really difficult sometimes to navigate the communication waters between the sport coach and the strength coach, either based on the yeah. constraint of yeah. time or just, you don't click with the person or something it's like difficult. that. There's, yeah. Sometimes it's just, it's just really hard to do. So for me, it was let's find simple language that we can connect the sport world with the strength and conditioning world. Because that's the other thing. It's like, a lot of times I don't think we understand the sport world super well. And sometimes we forget that it's the top priority because we think of ourselves as like super important, which is not always the case. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, and, um, you know, sport coaches obviously know they're the top dog in all this, but they don't understand the benefits that we could necessarily bring to the table. So I think the biggest thing now, like we're talking about moving away from the weight room as strength and conditioning professor professionals, we need to think of things more in sort of stress, being a stress manager, if that makes sense. Because I do think sport coaches forget about that because how many times do you see like uh, a coach bringing his guys in the preseason and go, oh, we're not ready. So we just have to just blast a ton of volume, go on and on and on in practice because we're so far behind. And it's like, okay, an athlete has a limited bandwidth to handle all of this. And I know it's important that they understand these fundamental principles, but if you're going to spend like, you know, three to five hours a day on it, like good luck getting much done by the end of every week. Cause they're just so, you know, cut down on all this. So I think the role of the strength coach has changed now to being like, okay, I can help generally develop some of these athletes. And to be honest with you, as long as you have a somewhat sound understanding of like biomechanics and uh, you know, building strength and, you know, resiliency in the weight room, that's pretty easy to do, quite honestly. So where can I actually bring some real value to the table that sets me apart from other strength and conditioning coaches? I think it has to do with stress yeah. management between sport load and weight room load, right? Right. So if you remember, we would do um, some of those body weight circuits as recovery. Absolutely. Love recovery those things. Yeah. I yeah. still do some of that stuff. Now I've evolved on like some of the modalities that I'm using in it. But I'm still doing a lot of that stuff to help offset the fact that somebody just came in from like a two hour practice, they have a game tomorrow, and this is the only time we could fit you into the schedule to lift. It's like, how can we make this productive for you? It's not going to be productive if we just pile on what we would usually do, which is a ton of load, maybe more volume than is necessary, and then you guys are shot, you know, for what matters. So for me, it was how can we make training load, at least on the weight room side where I have the control, how can we make that something where you're always ready to perform for tomorrow? Whatever I do today shouldn't affect what's going to come tomorrow, especially if tomorrow's an important day on the pitch. So um, that's a huge thing. Now, how can we link this to the sport coach side of things? They need to start understanding what load is. They need to understand that, yes, you might have the priority of trying to accomplish this set piece 
But after you've hit a certain amount of time working on the set piece, like the bandwidth is over for that and you need to move on to something else or end it. Um, if you don't do that, it doesn't matter how many times you're going to go over it. It's just not going to work. You know, I, I align it to like, I was the worst studier at undergrad, right? Like I, I would, I would put everything I'm off the night before. There. Yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> I'd put everything off to the night before and then I'd try to cram it all in 12 hours. And I, all of a sudden I started to realize in a lot of these situations, like this is what I'm going to do. So I need to go, just go to bed on time. So I'm, instead of staying up all night. So I would study from like eight to midnight, then wake myself up at six and study more rather than studying through the whole night. We just don't have the bandwidth to, to, to master anything in that form or fashion. We have to step away sometimes. So um, the thought of the quadrants is, is to consolidate stressors between the weight room and training. Okay. So if I can get someone to understand that, if a soccer coach wants to have a day off on the pitch, a lot of them, especially at lower levels, will be like, well, that means you can just blast them in the weight room. No, bro. Stress, stress does not exist in a vacuum like that. Like the, the athlete does not, you know, the athlete's body is not going to discriminate between, uh, you know, oh, this is, a, this is a weight room load. So I won't be tired for practice tomorrow on the, on the pitch. No, that's not true. I mean, you have an ability to handle only so much stress. And if I deprive you of your recovery day because we went hard in the weight room on a day off from the pitch, we're, we're no longer consolidating recovery and stress on the same days. And it's just spreading everything out over a period of time where we never fully recover. Um, so that's kind of the overall framework. Yeah. Well, and even to that point, I mean, I remember, I think we've talked about this too, but even, even on an off day, like you were saying, if you did, if you did absolutely nothing, it could be worse than, than pushing yourself to the max again, you know, a couple of days in a row, like for an athlete in season, one day off sometimes is even worse coming back the next day because you, you know, you're, you're stiff and, and whatever it was. So I think off days in the weight room were good, but I, I liked the balance that you were able to provide because yeah, we came out of there feeling refreshed, but it was like, yeah, we did a little bit of work in there and, yeah. and we feel good about ourselves. Yeah. So yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like I want you to feel better in right. a certain in a session like that like i don't want you to come out crushed like you came into me crushed like you can see it i could see it on your guys faces like you came right. into me crushed therefore i need to find a way to get you in a, in a position where you feel better because tomorrow is something important going on you know so um you know on the, the science behind that's going to be like i need to get blood flow to tissues in order to promote recovery and the best way to do that is just to do some low level stuff where you're at just kind of a moderate heart rate and gets uh, you know, lymphatic drainage or just one of those things that's going to help uh, stimulate and promote recovery. So, which is crazy because I think, I mean, if any athlete told you coming into college that a strength and conditioning coach would look at them and say like a day in the weight room could make you feel better than the day before they look at you like you were mental. That's not like <laughs> no athlete. I don't care who you are, whatever think the weight room is going to make you feel better the next day when you come out of it. Cause any college athlete going to school is like, Holy smokes. Have you heard about the weight room sessions? You know, it's cool. <laughs> it's cool. Like no one ever, no one ever talks about, ah, oh, I felt great after the weight room. You think about that. Like, you know, you go in, especially at the division one level, you go in, you meet with the athletic trainers and you feel good after coming out of there, but not the weight room. That's crazy. That's, that was <laughs> yeah. to my point earlier. Like, this is the first time I ever thought of uh, strength and conditioning as not weightlifting. Like it's, it's a whole, you know, this whole umbrella is so much more complex than just picking up the squat bar or whatever it was. Yeah. So yeah, yeah that's crazy. But I was going to ask you too, just talking about 
with the quadrants and all this stuff talking about creating uniform language between you and the coaches and all this stuff. One of the things I was always curious about was you've worked at so many different levels. Now you've worked at the collegiate level, uh, the professional level kind of with athletes on an individual level. I don't know. Did you, did you ever dip into high school at all? Yeah. Yeah. I've done, uh, I did two seasons of that actually before I got my master's, I didn't know what I was doing, but it actually, funny enough, this just goes to show you like, I ran a basic strength program and we got stronger and we got better. So, yeah. know, like. <laughs> so I'm curious then what, what are like, cause when, when you came into Mary wash and we heard, you know, Buffalo bills, I'm thinking, Holy crap, this guy, like, the bills, like Richie incognito, like the dude is 300 pounds. What in the world are we going to do with this guy? And then, like I said, it's been, it was a complete, you know, change of pace and I had no idea what was going to, what actually happened. But, Talk about, because I don't know if I ever got the chance to really ask you, but now that you've been through D3, Mary Wash, some of these other schools, what, like, what are the differences and, and how much more fulfilling is one than the other? Or, you know, where do you see where, like, where your personal values align with the different levels or just, yeah, talk about maybe the differences and stuff. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. We can speak about the athletes first. Um, I, I think, it's, it's such a, a wide and varied topic, but I think at the, per, the, the lower the level, I think that um, athletes don't necessarily like put two and two together about what matters and what doesn't. And, and you know, it kind of exists on the, on the pro side of things too. Um, and a lot of people can get by on just raw ability, um, which is just crazy. Like, it's just insane. Like how little sometimes some of these guys put effort into like the little things and they're just so good. It doesn't matter. <laughs> um, uh, but, right. but for those that like really have to work to, to reach higher and higher levels, um, I think the higher you get, if you're that type of person, you just start to realize like everything matters and you take a more holistic approach to, uh, keeping your body the way it needs to be. Like once you get to the pro level, I think most guys understand my body is what's getting me here. I need to invest in it in order to, to get where I need to be. Um, it means so, to an end type of thing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I, I think that's one of the things I would also say too. One of the more interesting things is, is I've been in so many different regions of the country. Um, I'm dealing with just people of different levels of education, uh, different backgrounds completely. Um, you know, some, some people in certain situations that have been in like, just, it's unbelievable the amount of hardship they go through on a day-to-day basis. And then, you know, you go somewhere else, like, you know, for example, right now I'm in Santa Barbara and like, you know, life's easy for most of the kids that come in, you know? <laughs> so it's just, it's very different. So you have to like learn how to, uh, be a bit of a, a chameleon, to be honest with you. And I know it sounds kind of like not genuine, but you almost, it's almost a sense like I need to be able to read the room, understand, uh, you know, the sense, the sense of humor of the people I'm working with, like what's where the line is and like what I can and can't say, um, you know, what's going to get them motivated and what's not, what type of workouts are going to, to be most effective for them. It's, it's interesting to navigate your way through just the interests and backgrounds and education level and all these different things of the people that you're working with when you work with so many. And I think for me, that's been extremely helpful because now I go into any situation and I can kind of figure it out within a few months, you know? Um, and I'm not saying I'm a genius or anything like that. There's still plenty of things I wonder about every day, whether I'm doing something right or not, but from a just purely ability to like connect with someone, 
it's just gotten a lot easier just based off of that, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, and that's brings me to, I think a next follow-up question because similar to what I was saying, you, you, you know, busted a lot of misconceptions I had maybe about the weight room. I think some of the best conversations we've had have been about emotional intelligence, uh, culture, and how you get people to perform. Obviously strength and conditioning is how you get people to perform at their best or whatever. But I think in terms of like a culture with a team, like you're probably only the only coach strength and conditioning coach I would add to that, that talks about that stuff. So why or when did you start figuring out that that was important? Because any weight room I've been in, like in high school, I played was a kicker for the football team for a year, this, that, and the other. You know, you walk into a weight room, you know, weightlifting coach is like, here's how we do it. Pick up the weights, put them down, get in, get out. This is my weight room type of, yeah. type of shit. You know what I mean? But yeah. to you, it's, it, it's different. So why, why is that? Is that, is that something you just came across thinking like, you know what, maybe we could do these things a little differently or how did you, how did you come to that? Cause I really don't think a lot of strength and conditioning coaches are yeah. like that. I think the, the, if all we're going to do is focus on the weight room as strength and conditioning coaches, we're missing out on all the other things we can touch. Like at Mary Washington, no one else saw the volume of athletes that I did. You know, I saw everyone for the most part here and there. There's a few teams I didn't work with a yeah. lot or at all, but for the most part, I saw everyone. I dealt with, you know, various, you know, problems, issues, good things, bad things. Uh, I knew a lot of what was going on in the school, in the athletics department because of that. Um, therefore, I have the opportunity then to uh, try to be more of a teacher than just this is the way we're doing things, you know? Um, and I, I, you know, I, I don't think, I, I knew it inherently then, but I, had, I hadn't fleshed it out as much as I have now. I'm a big believer in like the environment driving the perception of the athlete. So if an athlete comes downstairs into like UMW's you know, basement gym, and I need to um, assume that they haven't trained all that much because most of the people that come through a weight room just haven't. Um, they haven't trained that much. They're probably nervous. It's a foreign environment. And they might not be all that psyched to be there, right? And that's a lot of athletes. They just, it's the, the, a lot of them just don't like the weight room. And that's totally fine. Rather than just say, well, this is going to make you better and we have to do it this way. How about like, I give you some of it because it's my job. Uh, but we also try to figure out some other things that are going to educate you and make you a better athlete. That's the biggest thing for me is finding out what uh, vibes with each athlete. Cause again, like if we look at like what makes up an athlete, like very basically I think about the technical tactical realm. Okay. Think about the biological realm, which is a lot of stuff or the physical realm, which is what I do. Then I think about like social factors, um, creativity, uh, you know, just personality things and, and dynamics from human to human. And then I think about the mental side, which kind of overarches and encompasses everything, right? That's four, and there's many little subsets of this, but that's four different things or components that's making up the athlete that comes and sees me. If they don't vibe with the physical development side of things, I have three other things I can hit. If I'm talking to the coaches and understand the game a little bit, I can, I can blend that into the physical training. If they'd rather talk about the mental development, we can have an education session on something like that or have just a frank conversation about it. If I know someone's struggling emotionally, uh, I can just change the way I interact with that person while they're doing the physical development side of things. Um, all of those things 
are now driving their perception of the strength and conditioning environment in a positive way. So, you know, it's almost like I'm putting in work where they want to put it in at the beginning. So on the back end, I can cash in on what my actual job is, which is the physical development side of things. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting too, because now that I'm in the coaching realm, um, obviously on the kind of sports specific side, whenever I bring kids on campus now, it's kind of the, the main thing I talk to them about is, your play really throughout your four years is not going to depend on your talent or even your work ethic at times. It's really about the factors off the field that really determine like if you're going to be okay and you're going to make it through your four years. Like if you're able to navigate being on your own away from your family, which doesn't sound big, but it is, uh, especially yeah. with some of the kids. Like I, I was a huge mama's boy. Like I struggled <laughs> my first year. Holy crap. Yeah, you know aren't you, aren't, you, aren't you from Fredericksburg or like close by? No. Yeah. Not too far. That was far, man. Now I'm like 12 hours away from home. I don't know what, what I'm doing, but I, I mean, I would always tell people like there's so many other factors that affect a collegiate athlete. Um, on the day-to-day basis that you could show up to practice or a weight room and you're still the most talented kid out there, but you could just have the worst day ever because something happened at home with your family, your parents, your, your siblings, whoever it is. And, and that sometimes more than anything else really determines, you know, how much you're going to end up producing, which is unfortunate. But I think it's crazy because I'd always thought like, you know, you're, you know, your soccer coach are going to take care of you or whatever. But like, yeah, like we would go in your weight room and it's like, all right, like I'm sitting here talking to Kevin and Jack after our, our weightlifting session for 30 minutes or whatever it is. I think that's a huge thing to be a resource for athletes because the more, you know, the more the merrier type of thing, um, they need all the help they can get. I mean, yes. college is a stressful time. Yeah. And, and that's, I think it's really cool. That's one of the reasons I wanted to bring it up that you do that because I really don't think, I see other strength and conditioning coaches post on Facebook Saturday morning. They're talking about culture and how, how we can relate to athletes. <laughs> I don't see that. And I, I got involved with you on Facebook the other day. We were talking about that, which is really cool. Um, finding, finding your passion and stuff. So is that, is that the most passionate side of your job trying to relate to the athlete or, you know, yeah. you, I think, you, I think I'm trying to remember your Facebook post from the other week, but it was essentially, you know, finding your passion in life, sticking to it or whatever. But it seems like, you know, I'm reading your Instagram bio right now, better humans, better athletes, better world. Is the better world the, the biggest driving motivation factor for you or better yeah. athletes or no, I, you fall in line with that? I think the better world is, is the biggest thing, man. I, sure. One thing that bothers me about today and like just life today, we're so globally connected. We're, we're hyper aware of problems that are just so far out of our ability to control. Um, and to be honest with you, like a lot of them are like almost none, none of our business half the time. Like, I feel like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like right. just a lot of like virtue signaling to other people about what they should and shouldn't be doing and, and all this other stuff. And it's like, to me, it's kind of scary because I don't think that, I think it takes the emphasis away from like what you can do to affect those within your actual sphere of influence. Um, and I'm not downplaying like the fact that we have some global problems that need to be addressed and we probably need to have a dialogue about them. But if it's consuming your every waking thought, think about all the opportunities you're missing to touch people around you that in a positive way that maybe one of those people is one day calling the shots on these huge things, you know, like, and, and if we didn't take the time to help develop them, 
maybe they're not making the best calls for people, you know? Um, and obviously that's highly unlikely. Um, sure. but the, the biggest thing is, is I feel like there's just not enough emphasis on like what we can do to control our sphere of influence. And I think the best way to do that is to find what you are passionate about. And that takes a long time to search for, because to be honest with you, like I only just felt in the la within the last year, ex like I know exactly what I want to do. Um, you know, and I'm 31, like the first you know, 10 years post-college, I was just kind of like, oh, try this, do this, do that, see what happens, you know? And, and I'm not saying you have to do that, but if you're unsure, you have to try stuff. And if you're, if you're not, you're just going to end up in a job where you just punch in, punch out. You don't, you're not really contributing to society and you're wasting your time on the weekends, like just not doing anything, you know? Um, and I'm not saying you can't have fun. I personally, I just have a lot of fun doing this. And I understand that not everyone's going to be that way. Um, but but yeah, man, I think better world is the, is the goal. And the best way to do that in my sphere of influence, I, I have worked with shit at this point, thousands of athletes over the last six, seven years of my life. Um, have all of the experience been positive? No. Have, have I made the right decisions and, and, and all the time? No. Um, but at the end of the day, like it's been a constant process of trying to refine my craft, get better at it. And also, uh, help the athlete to understand that like I can be more of a resource for you than just the get strong guy. Like we've been talking about, you know, I'm aware of these other factors that are potentially yeah, some of, life, you know? Yeah. Some of the, the uh, conversations I've been having with a couple of my friends recently, which is, I think ties into this millennials. And I, I I'm in this boat. Um, millennials really want to feel connected to their work you know, and they, they want to feel like they're making a difference and all this stuff. But I still think at the end of the day, so many people just end up into this nine to five lifestyle. Yeah. And, and it's crazy because what do you think it is with people that, that, I mean, maybe they, you know, don't feel the confidence to just step out and try something. Maybe it's money. I, I don't know, but like you work with athletes all the time. So do you, do, can you see this in some people? It's like, ah, oh, this, this guy, this, this girl has potential to just do something different. And I always talk about like coaching as like a different job or you, you could be in shoot. You could do a lot of things that are, they're not the nine to five job. Yeah. I would even consider like getting into politics, not the typical, no. you know, nine to five kind <laughs> yeah. of thing. Right. But a lot of people just, just don't end up doing it for whatever reason. Cause they do. Can you see that in athletes? Is it just, they just want to stay inside their shell or like, what is it? I feel like there's more people that need to be encouraged to get out and, yeah. and do something different. Well, that's why I, I think it's great to be an athlete because a lot, like, especially if you're at a high level, you're putting yourself out there on like such a limb. And if you're in front of a crowd playing. Yeah. So, and I think that's huge because why are they, why are some people not doing this and kind of adhering to the norms of society? Like that we've established traditionally over the last hundred years of the nine to five playing it safe because it's safe. That's why they do it. Um, it's safe and they're afraid to take a risk. And again, that might not be a bad thing. If you're more of a conservative person, that's not a risk taker, that might be exactly what you need in life. And, you know, to be honest with you, like, I hate to say it, but like, sometimes that's like the role of people. Like you just kind of live your life, do your thing. And you're happy you get married, you have kids, hopefully you raise your kids well, and they continue on with the process. And that's not a bad thing. But I, I do genuinely believe, genuinely believe that like, they might be missing out on something if they don't take a risk or they don't try something that's always interested them. Because I think if you do that, all of a sudden you start to realize what not only like 
you come closer to what you want in life, but like you also start to realize what you don't like. And I think that's very important. Like, yeah, dude, I, the last 10 years, I could, I could tell you most of the stuff I've done, I don't like. Uh, I end up deciding I don't like, but that's fine. Like, I don't think that, I don't think of that as a bad thing. Like it's just helped me push me closer to exactly defining what it is I want um, and what it is I don't, you know? Um, but if you're not willing to go on that journey, because it is hard, especially if you pick a field like we are picking with coaching, uh, you know, the money's not great, you know, like right now I'm treading water, you know, yeah, I make peanuts, bro. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, you know, I'm treading water <laughs> and I've, I've left some jobs that have like paid very well, you know, or, or, you know, like UMW didn't pay poorly, you know? Um, but for me, it was not exactly what I was looking for. And I knew I needed to keep kind of digging to find exactly what it is that I wanted to do, you know? Um, but in the meantime, while I'm there, I don't want, and I know, you know, this, but like, I don't want people to think like, I'm just, this is just a stop for me. Like I'm giving it my all wherever I am. Uh, I'm developing and trying to get better wherever I am. And I'm trying to get those around me better as well. So. Yeah. One thing I've always thought about, and, and I think from what I'm hearing or what it sounded like you were saying is I think people are afraid to operate in a, in an area where they're slightly uncomfortable at all times. And I think if you can make that a reality for you, I think your life changes in so many different ways. Um, because yeah, I think about the move that I just made down to Florida. I had just kind of settled, started to get really comfortable and think like, I love here. I love it here. I'm with my family, this, that, and the other extended family. It's great. And then this opportunity in Florida came and I thought to myself like, shoot, I got to do it. I just got comfortable here, but there's no way like this is going to advance staying here is going to advance my career, like moving to Florida would. So I think people just don't really want to operate at an uncomfortable level. And I also don't think from what you were saying, you're, you know, you're just finding out what you want to do now, you know, 10 years after graduating, whatever it's people, I don't think commit to continual learning. And that's something I think that just grinds my gears a lot because people just get in this fixed mindset and they don't want to, they don't want to find more about them more about themselves which i think is the biggest shame that people that i see in people you know you can learn about other things which is great but the more you find out about yourself the more you're going to figure out about life and other people i think yes um and so i think one of my next questions was especially with with coaching i think there's so much internal inward looking you can do um as coaches i think that's so important do you how, how big is that for you? Cause I saw your post the other day, you, you've gotten into this new routine of kind of waking up. What are you thankful for? What are you trying to improve on this kind of inward searching? How big is that? Do you think for, for younger coaches? Cause I, I'm sure there's a lot of coaches that listen to this pod, maybe strength and conditioning, yeah. other silos or whatever, but I think it's something I've, I've found. I mean, you can just, you don't need to learn more about tactics or your shin angles or whatever. Maybe you just need to learn more about yourself to be, to be a better coach in reality. Yeah. It's a great point, man. I, I this is interesting because I am not great at this. Um, to be honest, like I feel like I went through a good chunk of my twenties, not discerning things very well. I just kind of like was just doing things, um, which isn't bad. Like there's an upside no, to that. Like no. I almost feel like I do feel like almost all choices that are made in life, especially like around these topics, like there's not really a bad choice. There's just maybe like not an optimal choice or you go too far down the continuum of one thing, which is inevitably going to expose like a gap somewhere else. Um, so in my twenties, yeah, I, you know, I just, I just shot from the hip a lot and tried a lot of different things. And 
for the most part, like I wouldn't really change a lot of it. I, I do did start to realize over the last couple of years that I needed to start taking more of a, like a mindful direction towards something. So um, I, I think I've gotten really good at it, you know, not really good, but pretty good at it over the past year. But honestly, uh, having Naveen uh, from the Wizards on a couple of weeks ago on the podcast really made me start thinking like, wow, he is so attuned to himself that his interactions with others are so much better because he's so attuned with himself and he's so grateful for his experiences and his, his being makes others want to be around him. And I was like, you know what? Like, I feel like overall that's like a strength of mine, but there are times I'm not great at it and I wish I could be better. So I was like, you know what? I need to really like, like hammer this down. So uh, the last couple of weeks I've really been thinking about what I'm grateful for. And especially now when like times are tough for a lot of people out there, it still yeah. is remarkable. Like when you really start thinking about it, like how much we have to be grateful for, especially if we, if we compare things to like maybe a third world country or, uh, yeah. you know, how things were 500 years ago, just the luxuries that we have nowadays. Like I have a car, like, are you kidding me? That's incredible. You know, um, you know, like I don't have to walk to work every day. You know? So, um, just little things like that have been super helpful. And then to be honest too, that starts, I think doing that starts to get the thought process flowing. And then once you can kind of delve in and get a little bit more, I guess, like less conscious of things and just start thinking, then you start thinking about what can I do better? What are some goals I want to have? You start to visualize the goals a little bit. Um, this is, this is interesting. I've never talked about this with anybody yet, but, um, uh, you know, I don't know if you understand, if you've heard of like the mastermind concept where you like, you have a group around you that kind of, yep. you. Oh, it's, yeah. it's unbelievable. Yeah. So, so it's crazy. I, I, so I have like a small pocket of mentors basically now that I've kind of like tracked down and really built up good relationships with, but in my head now I visualize like being in a, like a boardroom with them or like, you know, something like that. And we're just talking and we're just talking about like what we can do to improve our situations and stuff like that. And I don't go like, sometimes I can get really deep on it. Sometimes it's like two seconds and I don't get anything out of it, but like just consistently hammering way of like visualizing these things um, really makes you start thinking more about yourself. And like you said, I think that's going to, that's the step away you need from the grind of the, the art and science of coaching that kind of lets you come back. Like we talked about the study habits that I had in college, but let you come back to that, feeling refreshed, more open-minded, asking better questions, uh, doing better research, et cetera. And I think that's huge because to be honest with you, man, like I'm kind of a, like a junkie when it comes to all the learning and education pieces, but. Oh yeah. You're blowing my mind every week. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. shoot, you've got like textbook readings every morning on Facebook. I can't <laughs> even talk about it at this point. It's crazy. But yeah, man, like I'm a junkie for that stuff, but I also am aware that like we talked about this continuum. I talked about the continuum earlier. Like if I go all the way down in that continuum, then I don't know about anything else. And I'm not, you know, then I'm a robot coach that doesn't know how to interact and like make an athlete feel welcome in the gym. I'm just talking science the whole time. You know? So, right. So I think that's a, you know, to kind of take it back to the strength coach thing. I think the best strength coaches have like an insane understanding of all the principles and things. And then they're able to lay them out in a simple program and they just let things happen, let the athlete discover, fill in the blanks here and there with some coaching. And, and the athlete doesn't even know like the level of detail that's going into this program. Like it seems so basic, you know? Yeah. And it's so, it's so interesting too, because just that point you were making, it, it just seems so different than, than what I'm doing in terms of, you know, we're out in the field training the group. 
with, with tactics, with these other things involved, but you are just singly like, how can I maximize this person's potential, which I, obviously coaches in as soccer, basketball, whoever it is, are, are trying to do that. But it's, it's more group focused, if you will. So it's like your, your job is so outward focused on just individuals and how like laser focused, how can I get this individual better each day when they come in? But yeah, if you don't, I mean, if you don't leave time for yourself, I'm sure that can be exhausting. Just thinking about yeah. all the scenarios with all these kids, like, I had a bad lift the other day. How can I, how can I help him or, or whatever that might be? Yeah. And that, and you know, honestly, that was one of the reasons why I didn't stay at Mary Washington. Um, it just, the, what my, the way I wanted to do things just wasn't conducive to the nature of the position there, you know, like it was just me and Kevin, uh, you know, kind of limited, you know, in terms of what we could do as a staff and then so many athletes. And, and it got to the point towards the end of the year, I found myself like, I'm just, I'm like, I'm becoming a worse coach. Like, there are certain teams that I just wasn't giving my best to. And I felt like it was just not good in my opinion. Like I just like on my end, not them. Like, I mean, I mean, you know, I just felt like I just wasn't giving them a good product. And I was like, you know what? Like I'm sure if I stay a few more years, like I can hone these systems and make it good. But I knew ultimately like it wasn't quite what I was looking for. So I was like, rather than, you know, waste everyone's time there with that, I was like, you know what, I'm going to move on to the next thing and, and kind of do that. But I mean, but I mean, yeah, man, it's, it's, that's the way I want to do things. And that's one of the big reasons why I want to be involved with just a single team or something like that. And again, the, you know, we've talked about the differences between all the levels, um, you know, at the pro level, it can be very hard because I think a lot of pro athletes are so used to just being around people that are like, what can I get out of you? It takes a long time to build the relationship the other way where they understand, like, I'm just there to help them and serve them and, you know, do whatever needs to be done to make them better and to, to enhance their careers. But at the end of the day, I think that's the most important thing, you know, um, they need to understand that I care about them as a person before I care about them as an athlete. And that just, again, doing the work on the front end so that when we get to the back end, like the things that I wanted in the first place are happening, you know, and they're happening yeah. because of the work, the other things I did before. And like a lot of people are just so short sighted. They don't understand that. Um, you know, I'm kind of rambling now, but I, you know, my wow, last spot at the good. army, I honestly like, I haven't spoke about this either. I'm probably gonna get in trouble, but um, uh, there we go. We're getting yeah. a good <laughs> yeah. to be honest with you, man, a lot of the leaders there, like they don't understand that. It's just like, what can I get out of this person to do this thing that I'm explicitly stating rather than results-based? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just very results-based. And it's like, look, like if you work this the other way, not only are you going to get results, but you're going to get an atmosphere and an environment that creates a better, you know, we talked about already a better culture and just a better way to actually, how can we individualize? We can't individualize if we don't put time in with these other things that make up the athlete. If we don't do that, then we don't individualize because we're never going to have the best conversations we could. So, yeah. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, I think it just goes back to some of the things I've been pointing out. I just, I think it's cool that some of the issues I have with coaching, I think is it, it's easy to say that stuff. And I'm not saying that just because, you know, a coach Jack, he just says that stuff. But I think there's so many coaches that say that, that, you know, that gibberish, but then it's like, they don't actually mean it. And if no. they don't see the results yeah. they want, it's just like, you know, the kids suck this, you know, I, I'm not giving the right support, blah, blah, blah. But if their goal was to see kids as an individual, 
um, as a as a human before a player or someone in their weight room, their mindset would be shifted and and things would be a lot better. Because I think it frustrates me because coaches could be the most important people in society. I truly truly believe that, and yet or teachers for that matter. I, I mean, I think teachers and coaches should be paid a lot more. I'm, I get paid nothing as a coach. So maybe that's just my silent plea for that. But I think, I mean, I think if more people, people were encouraged to think like that and be in this profession, shoot, we'd be, we'd be raising young adults to be a lot better people in society later on in life. I think if people truly believe that, and I don't, I think that's one of my issues with coaching now that I'm, well, yeah, I'm, man. I'm younger, but still, I know you're, you could see it so often. That goes back to the sphere of influence. Like we touch so many people as coaches and teachers. Like I was a teacher before too. Um, we touch so many people. And if we don't do a good job doing it, we miss so many opportunities to affect these global things that are affecting us right now. You know, um, yeah like I said, I don't know, I don't know where half of these kids are going to end up. Like, I don't remember a good chunk of the, the people I've coached. One of them could already be like on his way or his or her way to, to doing something absolutely monumental. Um, and you know, maybe I, I didn't do anything, but like maybe I played a small positive role on a day where they really needed it that affected a few other days that got them where they needed to be, you know, like, and That's we don't think, we don't think about that because we're, again, we're short-sighted. Everybody wants to focus on the big, big things. Um, and as coaches, a lot of times it's, what can this athlete do for me now to help me win? And especially at the lower levels, I have a huge problem with that. Um, and I'm not trying to diminish like the accomplishments of anyone that's succeeding at the D3 level, for example. But at the end of the day, you're never, as a D3 athlete, you're, there's almost a 0% chance you'll ever make a living doing what you're doing as a D3 athlete. And that's fine. I want you guys to be fucking awesome, you know, as, you know, as athletes, but at the same time, we have to be cognizant that at the end of the four years, like you need to have a body that still works and you need to have a, a mindset that's been changed for the better over four years. And who's going to most influence that the coaches, you know? Yeah. I think, I think at the division three level, this is just, this to me might be rambling a little bit, but I think if you're a division three coach, um, there are certainly programs where, you know, you could maybe pump out a kid or two every for sure seven years that, you know, that kid could probably play somewhere depending on what the sport is, what he's doing, or he or she is doing, whatever it is. But I think if you're a division three coach, you should know that the most important conversations you're going to have with those kids are, Hey, what do you want to do when you graduate? And those should be enjoyable for you. And that was like a big thing for me. I enjoy that at division three level. And then when I made the jump just here recently, division one, meeting with some of these kids, I'm like, Hey, you know, I'm in, I'm in a D three mindset. Like coaches need to be a little bit adaptable to these things. Like I'm asking these kids, Hey, what do you want to do when you graduate? Thinking, uh, you know, I want to start my own business, whatever. And these kids are like, yeah, I want to play pro. I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, I got to flip my mind. <laughs> <Shit. completely laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've got to help these kids get there. And it's, it's the same. I mean, it's the same principles. You're still teaching them the same game, but yeah, I think coaches need to know what situation they're in to help get people where they need to go rather than where you want them to go. Dude, you're, you're so right. And like flipping it over to the pro side or like people with pro aspirations, things do change a little bit. You can't yeah. be like, and I'm, I'm, I've all, I'm, I definitely lean on the side of like, what's best for the athlete now? Like, how can I, you know, help this athlete get through whatever they need to get through. But sometimes we need results. And, and especially if we have high aspirations and that's the side, that's the side that I need to work on the most where it's like, dude, we're here now. And I think where I'm at right now is great for this. Cause we're working with some guys that are getting ready to go into the, into the NBA. And 
it's really cool. I'm not coaching them really. I'm watching, you know, my boss coach them. And it is really cool to see when my boss needs to turn it on and get these guys to do something. I think it's awesome. And it's like, it really is something that like I don't do well sometimes. So this is, it's been a great experience for me to see that because at the end of the day, for someone that's elite, like results matter more than anything. Like, even if you don't like me, no doubt. like we have to get results. So <laughs> if you don't like me at D3 level, like I'll just try to play nice and, and get you, get you on my side eventually. But you know, for some of these guys at the pro level, they they might never like me, but you know what? It doesn't really matter. Like we had to go out there and win fucking games. So yeah. Know? Yeah. That's, I mean, that's how it is here. I mean, I've, I've had my head turned a couple of times and it's like, yeah, you know, like got to do these things. And uh, eventually within two years, we got to start winning games. I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And we got some stuff to do in the office today. You know what I mean? But um, no, that's really cool. I think, I think honestly, it's been a great conversation. I've, I've always liked, I don't know, what are we at an hour here? What, how long have we been talking? Yeah, like an so, hour. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Um, one of the, one of the last ones I wanted to ask you, cause I think, like I mentioned earlier, I'm sure there's a bunch of coaches that, that listen to this um, in, in whatever silo. I think one of the biggest things maybe people don't realize when they get into the profession about is how lonely it can be sometimes. Oh. Um, and it, you know, it's such an outward facing job where you're, like you said, you have an impact on countless people every day. I mean, and I, it might not even be athletes. It might be people on campus. It might be the janitors that work in the campus or whatever. I think that's so important for coaches. But my point is for, for younger coaches, cause I, I go through this too. So I'm hoping there's younger coaches that listen to this pod, but can you talk, I mean, you've been all over the United States. I mean, you lived in freaking Buffalo, which I don't think I'd wish upon anyone <laughs> to live in freaking Buffalo. Me neither. But you've been there. Can you can you talk about your experience from Buffalo to Fredericksburg, Virginia, Fred Vegas, as some people like to refer to it, to, to California, to, to the Pacific Northwest? What I mean, what is that like? I, coaches don't realize like if you, I mean, if you really want to chase stuff, you're gonna have to bounce around, and, yeah. and it's it's just one of those things. It is the nature of the beast. Um, but you don't really, I mean, you show up at college, you show up with a roommate. It's great. I mean, I showed up in college with my best friends. Phenomenal. I lived with him for four years, you know, Will like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was awesome, but it was still, you know, you're going off on your own, whatever. When you go off and coach, like, I mean, I just packed up pretty much all my stuff, moved 12 hours away. I, and fortunately I kind of was prepared for it cause I have great mentors and they kind of told me about it, but I don't think really coaches realize what that's like and you've had to do that a multitude of times so I'm wondering like what is it that you've learned from just going off on your own you know like we said earlier you don't make that much money whatever it is like we have such an important role in society but it it can be so lonely can you speak to that and and what that's like for you and your experiences and stuff yeah um I think this is the hardest thing for me because we were talking about like doing what's safe or comfortable and stuff like that and like for me, this is like the highest calling right now, obviously it could change and stuff like that. But um, the secondary one for me is like, I came from a big family. Like I, I always kind of saw myself being married by now. and like having kids and obviously like the way things have played out, it just hasn't been feasible. Um, and so that's hard. Cause that's like one thing that's always kind of a secondary desire. That's just kind of always in the background. That's maybe bothers me at times. Um, so that, that certainly is something for loneliness. Cause I mean, when you find the person you're going to marry, for example, like that's your best friend, like you're, Honestly, at that point, like most of my friends that got married, like I, I don't talk to them as much anymore, which is fine. Like I get it. Yeah. You know, you're, you're with that person now. They're your ride or die. Like, you know, and that's, yeah, that's awesome. what happens. That's what happens. Exactly. So it's like, 
Yeah. So for me, you know, since none of that has really been imminent at like any point in the last, you know, three years, um, I would say it is hard uprooting all the time because you kind of know you're going to uproot again. So it's like, how long do I really want to like put time into these relationships? Because the other thing is you got to find people that you like are going to make you better, especially when you have mindsets like we do. So you got to find people that are going to make you better. I'm not going to waste time with people that are just going to want to drink on the weekends all the time. Like I just, that doesn't help me. In fact, it probably hurts me, you know? Um, and those checks add up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And we, and we don't have the money for it. Exactly. So, um, so, um, so yeah, like it, it's just hard because I, like I said, I don't think a lot of people are like this. So it's hard to find them. You, when you move around a lot, you don't really have this desire to like go out and like plant roots, um, which is difficult, you know, which is, you know, a whole nother ball game. So yeah, it gets, it gets kind of lonely. I'll say this, this last move has actually been the hardest for me. Um, I was up in the Pacific Northwest. I'd been there for like a year and a half. So not crazy long for me. It's a long time, but <laughs> you know, um, for about a year and a half and um, didn't love the job, but I had made a couple of very good friends. Like probably the best friends I've had since I was like, you know, in college or, or in high school. I still have some really good friends back in Fredericksburg. You know, obviously I'm from Fredericksburg. So yeah, no doubt. So, you know, like still have my boys there and everything, but um, I had made two guys there just, amazing friends with and leaving was hard dude like this it was the first time where I moved I was like man this is this is actually like kind of hard like I, I really like these dudes I know I'm not going to have anybody when I get down to California um you know it's just I knew it was going to be tough and now that I've been down here for a little bit it has been like and I'm overall I'm used to it so it's not the end of the world like I'm not I'm not wallowing in it I'm still getting work done doing what I need to do uh, but there are days where it's like man I wish I had like you know just someone to chill with or something like that you know and it's uh it could be, it could be a challenge. It could definitely be a challenge. And it's one of those things where you have to know going in that there's going to be issues along these lines and you have to kind of understand how much your bandwidth for handling them is going to be. Because if you run out of bandwidth, that's not good for your mental health. Like you gotta, you might have to, you know, divert away from the path and figure something else out. Cause again, like you might think, you know what it is you want to do. Like all of us kind of say like, follow your passion okay, follow your passion, but no one to quit and no one to move on to something else. Like I, you know, I, I get criticized sometimes by family members, like, Oh, you just can't make up your mind. You just quit. You don't stick with things. And I'm like, nah, like, I don't think there's a problem with, with quitting sometimes on things. If it's not what you want, why would I continue to waste time doing it? If I have another opportunity, it's going to get me closer to where I want to go. You know, like that's how I look at it. Um, but yeah, those are, those are little things where you, you do question yourself and wonder why you like, sometimes like, why am I doing this? Um, right. But at the end of the day, like I, I think about like what would happen if I gave up? Like, let's say I go get married and, and have kids and, you know, and there's nothing wrong with teaching PE somewhere. But let's say I go do that, you know, because it's pretty safe. You can make some decent money doing it. Like you can raise a family with it. Um, I'd be I'd be so full of regret every day. Like just You'd be so miserable. Full. I'd be so yeah. full of regret. And, yeah. and I, I couldn't live with myself that way. So I know like you know, when I think about it that way, I'm like, oh, I know this is the path, you know, and it's just unpleasant in the moment. And at the end of the day, I'm going to ride through it and get where I want to go, you know? Yeah. This book I'm reading, Grit by Angela mm -hmm. Duckworth. I think I mentioned it to you, mm -hmm. but she talks about, I mean, it's the same thing. She's talking about gritty people. They have this passion and it's the overarching passion. And she, she almost like, you know, parsed it out in this web where you, you know you've got this top bubble and that thing just does not change that is like the thing you're chasing and it, it's really something that you can never attain you know what i mean but you're 
you're going after it and it's your overarching life goal and you just you have to find the medium with which you you go after that thing but there's these mid you know mid-level goals essentially and and these things that you're passionate about and she calls them like interests because interests change passion really doesn't you know what i mean like what you're what you're deep down kind of passionate about i think truly kind of stays consistent but your interests will vary and and when you can you know marry your interest and your passion that's when it sounds like what you're what you're finding is like i'm not giving up on when my on something that i know my you know i see that this interest and my passion are aligned like i'm not going to give up on that because that's what i've been chasing my whole life and i think you know in her book she talks about people aren't gritty enough for you know steadfast in what they believe they just they just will give up on that stuff too easily so i think i think the loneliness though that's why i brought it up with coaching i you know you you pour out into so many other people you invest into so many other people and then it's like this is my passion but god this is freaking exhausting and then (laughs) you come back home at the end of the night it's just you you know, yeah. unless you have a family, of course, yeah. or whatever, but especially for the young coaches, I think that's the main point I brought I'll, it up. I'll say, I mean, it's I'll like, say this, uh, you know, it's interesting you bring this up because you're giving so much to the athletes. And honestly, like sometimes as a coach, you don't realize like the athlete, like you, like I know a lot of what the conversations I've had with athletes have been helpful, but sometimes the athlete doesn't vocalize it back. So you're not really sure. And so you're like, I wonder if that was effective. Like, I wonder if that was helpful. Like, I hope I did my best for them. And and hopefully they realize that I'm trying, trying to do whatever I can for them. And that's great. But I've also found like sometimes that's not all the fulfillment I'm looking for because sometimes you don't get the feedback. So one of the other things I do a lot of times now, like we're talking, like I try to talk to other coaches a lot now too, especially younger ones. Um, and I try to provide opportunities for them to get in front of other professional coaches. Like I've done some Zoom calls this summer with like, uh, you know, pers- like fairly prestigious coaches trying to get young coaches on to like ask them questions, blah, 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 give them opportunities. Network, yep. Yeah, exactly. And um, to be honest with you, like the coaches are just so willing to talk and share. And we just have more in common than the coach to the athlete, for example, like it's just a different dynamic. And so then, you know, you're helping because you're getting so much feedback from the other coach. And so for me, that's one way that I've really helped cope with that is just help other people not just the athletes, but the other coaches around you, you know? Um, and not only is that like going to be a good thing for you, like in the present, but also in the future, potentially, like if you're helping out a coach and then they get somewhere and like, let's say you just make it up. Let's say you get onto, you know, UVA soccer one day and like you're the head guy there and I'm old and never made it. <laughs> and you're like, Hey, I like, I'm Jack. hiring you, baby. You know what I'm You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, basically, I mean, just, just pay it forward. And like, just, I, I think I've, this seems to be a theme with everything I'm talking about. Like worry about what's going to happen in the back end. Everyone's just so myopic about what's going on. Like right now, like yeah. think about all the things you could do that you maybe don't want to do, or that are kind of difficult to do in the moment. Like they're simple, but not easy tasks, like communicating with your athletes as a coach in the proper way. Um, think about the impact that's going to have down the road and that you might not even know about. Like, that's the stuff that matters more than anything. And we're just so focused on like what is imminent. Uh, we tend to lose sight of that. I think. I love um, I, it's in a book um, by a guy who works with teams. He, he worked with Gonzaga's men's basketball team, Mark few. Yeah. Oh yeah. Their, their biggest, it, it's not like their team motto necessarily, but a symbol that they use for their program, which, which I'm hearing from you, I think is, it's kind of just like the seeds you plant, you know, but their big symbol is bamboo. 
So when you plant bamboo, it takes four years for the seed to actually sprout up out of the like ground. A weed. <laughs> yeah. And then it's the fastest growing plant to like 90, uh, not feet or what, you know what I mean? 90 inches. I don't know. Some stupid, whatever it is, but it's, it's such a great symbol in terms of like for coaches, like you have to plant a seed and then, you know, for strength coaches, depending, I mean, for you, if you're working in the professional realm, you know, you know, down the line, maybe it's a year from now that athlete you're working from sprouts, boom, you know, something happens. But for, for collegiate athletics, I always think that's fantastic. I mean, four years, and then you're going to see that person hopefully yeah. take off and it's going to be, you know, quick, um, amazing growth from them. But yeah, yeah. Coaches aren't patient enough. And so I think bamboo is actually, God, that's genius. I Perfect mean, analogy for college. Yeah, <laughs> no doubt. No yeah. doubt. But even like, you know, if you, if you look at it, it can be relevant for, I think, athletes and coaching in general. You just have to be able to – willing to plant the seed and then let it, you know, mature and then grow when it's ready, not when you need it or – you know what I mean? It's got to be organic and, and when the plant's ready to go. So I think, like you were saying, that coming back to that – focusing more on what's happening on the back end than, than you know, what you, what you need out of the situation right now is huge. Yeah, absolutely, man. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, all right. Let's uh, – will you say we end it with some rapid fire? I've yeah, I love rapid big, fire. I need I've to incorporate this big, into my podcast. This is, <laughs> I've always loved it. It's, it's awesome. Um, rapid fire questions to end the pod. So, all right. So, here we go. Best place you visited since moving to California, West Coast. Oh, does this include like Pacific Northwest or like just this recent move? Let's split it into two Pacific Northwest and then Santa Barbara area. Okay. Um, I will say, uh, Wenatchee in the Pacific or no Portland. I'm sorry, Portland, Portland, Portland. I'm, I'm sleep. Sorry, Wenatchee. Portland. Wenatchee is really cool, but I forgot Portland, Portland, Oregon is okay, Portland. My, like right. probably my favorite city. It's so weird. and so great. Besides the rain. Yo, dude, it's, it's all right. It's not too bad. Don't worry. Um, all right. All right. So then Santa Barbara, best place you've been in surrounding um, area, whatever. I'm a big Orange County fan. I got some family uh, down there. Laguna Beach is honestly right. really yeah. hard to beat. It's probably the That's best spot in the country, to be honest. So Okay. Yeah. yeah. West Coast, best coast. Yes, coast sir. Stuff. All yes, right. Sir. Uh, Clippers or Lakers? NBA, bubble, who you got in the final? Uh, Clippers. Clippers. You're a Clippers guy. Dude, I love Kawhi. I'm obsessed uh, with Kawhi. Yeah, I just I, I I'm going LeBron, man. I don't know. Have you I, seen his Instagram lately? The dude's nuts. I don't I don't follow I don't follow LeBron on Instagram just, to be honest. I mean, with you. <laughs> all right, so we so all right. Next question, next rapid fire question. We talked about all the crazy places you live. What is the favorite? What is your favorite place you've ever been? Please do not say Buffalo. Um, no. What's place, hell no. Yeah, favorite place you've ever lived. Hell no, absolutely not. Um, who? I actually really love Washington. If the weather was better, better, I'd pick Washington. But California is like, dude, it's 67 to 73 here every day. It's incredible. I was writing that question. I'm like, he's going to pick California. Just throw it in there anyway. (laughs) I mean, honestly, I will say, dude, people that have never been to the Pacific Northwest, you got to go. Sick. It's an awesome place. Um, Favorite team you've ever worked with umw men's soccer or umw men's soccer <laughs> i was like i thought you thought you were say women's soccer i was gonna be like oh no <laughs> i actually loved women's soccer too <laughs> i know um uh yeah UMW. no but actually actually best favorite team you ever worked for oh. no bias uh, i'm trying to think i think it was only it was honestly only a month 
last year, or a couple weeks last year in Vegas with the Brooklyn Nets. We had such a, uh, I had such a good time with the Brooklyn Nets. Awesome. Actually, it was a dope time. Like it was really fun. So I'll, I'll go with that. All right. Uh, how many more years until the Caps win the Stanley Cup again? Two more um, questions. Ooh. See, here's the thing. I think they could win this year, but I just don't think it counts. Like, I'm just not going to be all – like, I'll yeah. be happy if they win. I just don't think it counts. Um, You're not going to be in Vegas watching them do it again. Exactly. Dude, that was – what a dream. Unbelievable. Um, they got to win next year or else they're not going to win another one in the OV 10 year, I feel like. So we'll say next year. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's, yeah. he's just about – yeah. A dead horse at this point. I mean, he's still producing, no doubt. But I mean, it, I think after the cliff's got to be coming. Yeah, it's, it's got to be, be coming. Yeah. Got to be soon. Yeah. All right. Ten years from now, where's where are you at in your career? Ooh, damn it! Why'd you do this to me? I don't know if that's uh, a rapid fire, but I figure that's a good one to end it. Uh, director of performance at some either NBA or NHL franchise. That's the goal. Um, will it happen? Yeah. Got to get lucky. Got to keep grinding. We'll see what happens. Well, I could have, I could have extended it to twenty years. So if I'm giving you twenty years, you're definitely going to be there. Oh well, in twenty, in twenty years, dude, I better have my own garage gym, and I'm training <laughs> athletes at a high school field near me. And yeah, I better be just rolling in consultations uh, with pro teams. Yeah, that better. You're be going happy. from from director of performance to the NBA to your own gym in your garage. I love it, bro. I, I love it. That's the dream, man. Then I get my Fair own enough. boss. Yeah, that's huge, massive. <laughs> Well, this was a lot of fun. I, Coach, I, I'm telling you, thank you for having me on. This is cool. I've always been exploring the idea of starting my own podcast. So this is an awesome experience yeah, for me to come I, on. All I can say it. is, all I can say is you need to get on it because you're an excellent host, much better than me. You ask better questions. You prepare more. No, I appreciate that. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> all right. Well, cool, man. Awesome. awesome. Yeah. No, thank you so fun. much, uh, Justin. Appreciate you coming on as the interviewer flipping the script here on the show really appreciate it and uh all the best to you over down at stetson um dude i i know appreciate honestly it. man you're gonna crush it you a lot of things we i'm tell i'm talking to you about i think you already get it you already know it and you're miles ahead of people your age doing it so um appreciate just, that yeah keep getting it man keep getting it thank you thank you thank you <laughs>